How's the Little Mermaid? Hey y'all, welcome to the Break Drink Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Laura. And this is Break Drink. Today we're joined with Chris Gilliard again. Say hello. Hello. Because he's made us extremely paranoid about privacy, access, and I'm paranoid about data. So welcome back. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. And Chris is our first two-time guest. All right, what a distinction. Well, we just kept talking about you in other episodes, so just so you know, all all good. Um, <laughs> so we thought, hey, let's bring him back and talk some stuff with you. I, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we first talked, Chris, and I felt that maybe it's my own awareness of it, but there's been a lot of privacy privacy stuff that's happened in the last couple of months, and including the Twitter's uh, update with the large font of like. Oh, just check this button. Everything will be okay. Or the small font of like, if you want to actually go see your settings, you can come down here and look at this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a, I mean, for this podcast, I was reviewing uh, some of the policies and I tend to not scrutinize them as much as maybe I should because I have so many things installed on my browsers that are meant to block a lot of the stuff anyway. Um, what do you have installed so, uh, on your browsers? Well, I would encourage everyone to, um, at the very least, uh, install Privacy Badger. Mm-hmm. And you can get that from the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation uh, website. Um, and uBlock Origin, um, which is an um, ad blocker. Um, so that, that, would be, um, that would be the minimum. I would suggest. I mean, there, there's lots of others out there, but those are uh, very efficient, and they don't uh, they do the least, in my experience, to uh, to uh, mess up your browsing experience. So a lot of times when you when you install a lot of stuff on your browsers uh, to to block tracking and and uh, profiling and and um, ads, your browsers tend not to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. But uh, Privacy Badger and UBlock are, are, are pretty good. My, my one shout out uh, for an app would be putting on, instead of going to Google all the time, I have actually um, searched DuckDuckGo as one of my kind of immediate plugins. So I go to that instead of saying Google this or just typing into your, uh, if you use Chrome or Mozilla, you type in a search. Um, I use DuckDuckGo. Yeah, yeah. You can also change that to your default, mm-hmm. and then only only use Google when you need to. Um, and there's another one, really good one called a Start Page. Um, yeah, I forgot about that one. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to DuckDuckGo, but you still use Gmail, I does it matter? I mean, well, here a, here's a here's an uh, important thing. DuckDuckGo doesn't track your searches, right? Right. But the page that you're going to likely does. Uh, so, for instance, uh, like, I always use a hangnail. Now, if you're searching for a hangnail, you know, ways to treat a hangnail, obviously not an issue. But you can imagine some ways that it 
some medical conditions where it might be an issue. But I always use a hangnail. So if you go to DuckDuckGo, look up how to treat hangnails. And some of the first things that pop up are going to be, you know, WebMD and Mayo Clinic and stuff like that. Well, they track you. (laughs) So, So if you're searching something sensitive, once you leave the confines of DuckDuckGo, um, you're still going to face some of the same issues. Uh, so that gets then into VPN or, you know, Tor or, or something like that. So, like, the whole debate that's going on in Congress in America, uh, net neutrality, uh, when it gets down to the weeds of it, like, these exciting, it's really boring r- r- rules, but number 41, section 702, was the idea of... Um, going and tracking your online browsing history. And so they actually asked senators, do you want your public uh, people to know what you browse? I.e. Mm-hmm. corporations sell off your browsing habits to your old friend. Um, would you really want your constituents to know what you browse? And that's how like they're, they're trying to explain. Um, I think it was, uh, uh, who's the governor? Uh, Sen- oh, Senator Wyden. He's trying to ask, essentially, uh, why aren't we asking more of these questions on where does our data go from our browsing habit? Who has access to it? Who's looking at it? And what would it mean if you had to um, openly share your browsing habits to other third-party vendors and corporations? Yeah, this is actually a really interesting um, case. Uh, and it's pretty technical. And some of the things I'm probably not even a good person to talk to. But the ISP's main argument is essentially... Well, Google and Facebook get to track you in this way, so we should be able to as well. Like that that's their argument, okay? So, and you know, so the FCC has changed their rules, you know, given with the the new administration uh, and the head of the FCC. Um, so they've changed the, some of the rules that were put in, the, in place under the uh, previous administration. And if you're not sure what this is, there's some good explainer, John Oliver, last week tonight videos we'll include in our show notes that you should watch because that's really important that you know what net neutrality is. Even though it's a super boring word, you need to hear what's going on. It is. Yeah, it's really important. And, and I mean, the, but in the larger issue, I mean, so you can't technically purchase an individual's browsing history. Um, yeah technically i mean (laughs) and it gets into some some you know again technicalities but given the limited um, amount of data you need to identify someone it would be pretty easy uh for someone skilled enough to um to identify the likely um browsing habits of an individual uh you know one of the um there's a company actually that's come out that's uh they created a script that will uh, that uh, website owners could put on their page, mm-hmm. and it will allow them to know if uh, they are being visited by an ISP that's associated with the government. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't, I doubt it'll get widespread adoption, but it would allow people to know uh, to you know to a little bit larger degree when people from government sites were looking at them. Be really Funny. interesting say porn companies started doing that but funny you should say that because i in my homework um we'll talk about it momentarily i found how many people were searched on my social network so jeff t- t- say what your homework was to do and what you did 
So mine was to look at the the privacy of uh, privacy policies of of Facebook. Right. Wait. You're doing Facebook, and Chris yes. is going to do Twitter because there's been mm-hmm. a change of privacy, and I'm going to do LinkedIn because that just changed. Mine changed on June, effective June seventh. When did yours change, Chris? Uh, it was mid May, uh, May twentieth, May eighteenth, something like that. And it's supposed to update on the 18th, so yeah. just yesterday. So we'll talk about that. But yeah, Jeff, go ahead and tell us what you did. So mine has changed almost once a year since Facebook has started. And an article by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, this is, it was actually written in, in 2010, they did a timeline of, of the privacy changes from there using the the uh, Wayback Machine mm-hmm. to go into the uh, Facebook privacy. And so I these are probably like summaries or like parts of it. I can't imagine these are the full privacy statements, but maybe they were. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm I can't I'm not gonna read all of this because that'll be me reading for ten minutes and that'd be kind of boring. <laughs> but I want to give you some highlights uh, of each of these changes, starting back in tw- uh, the the first one in 2005, where it says, "No personal information you submit to the Facebook will be available to any user of the website who does not belong to at least one group specif- uh, specified by your privacy settings." Pretty simple and pretty. Safe-ish in a way, I should, would say. Um, it, it, I would say that's probably the best one for the users. There, it's like we understand you may not want everyone in the world to have have access to your information on Facebook. That's why we give you control of your information. Our default privacy setting limits the information displayed on your profile to your school, a specific area, or, or anything else. But you have to be connected uh, to them, or is it public? Well, it, it's it's it, at that point the default setting was like displayed to friends. Okay, and friends of friends. Wait, let me go back. Our default privacy setting limited the information displayed on your your profile to your school. So there was really no public at that point because it wasn't like a worldwide. So this is still kind of locked down to schools, um, but they start to. They're starting to open it up a little bit, right? So before the privacy setting was like people you're in groups with, and now it's getting to like your your network, like your school network. And the um, goal of that was when they started adding companies, and that's when ads got put in. Is that correct? Like more targeted ads. So, so that's where we go. And in, uh, in two thousand nine, um, you know, information is set to everyone. Uh, publicly viewed, and I would say this back in '09, their default setting was to everyone. It wasn't for new people who came to Facebook. Default settings for everyone. All of your settings that you had meticulously set was then changed to everyone. So <laughs> I, ha- wow. I remember, I remember having to go back pretty often because this is November 2009. There's an update in December 2009. And then April 2010, right? So there's like three changes pretty quickly um, in here. And I remember I had to go back often and change all of my settings again because the, every time they had an update, they default you into like their, their public ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you get down to starting in 09, it, it's to like we're putting you out there publicly. Um, 
when you get to 2010, it's, it's like when you're connected to an application of a website, um, that they will have general information about you, right? So then it's getting into the, you know, we're going to consider going to an IPO sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. Actually, 2010, they might have already been an IPO, or they're probably still getting ready for it. And so then it's, they needed to make sure that if a company's going to have a page and wants to advertise, they're going to have access to some data of people who likes that company on their page. And so um, in, a, in a five-year time period, they changed uh, pretty quickly. Um, now, there's one other, um, Matt McKinnon, and I don't know who Matt McKinnon is, um, but I'll say Matt McKinnon has a blog. And he has this little image of the evolution of privacy on Facebook. Um, and he has um, all the different things about Facebook, from contact information, friends, birthdays, uh, gender, photo, name on there. And then um, the network, like, can fr- is this defaulted for friends or the network or all Facebook users or the internet? Uh, that was another change in 2009. You could go to, you could see people's page without being a Facebook user. So there's this public uh, profile you could you could see of people. And as you click through like 05, 06, 07, you see it getting more blue throughout the years, which just means like more data was available to the internet about you. Um, it wasn't until 09, 010 where things that you posted um, to everyone was starting to get indexed and was starting to get searchable. Those things didn't happen um, in 05, 06, 07 when, when they started to do that. Uh, then it was just the sharing of information. And then your information is going to index for search engines. Well, this is also when Facebook started buying other companies, right? So anything from WhatsApp to Messenger to Instagram, yeah, they became absorbed. So anything that fell under Facebook purview is similar to those bot apps. Now, if you go now, facebook.com slash policies, um, First of all, if you're gonna if you're gonna look at the policies, like sk- block off a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can guess... save I can save you some time, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I mean uh, I I want to interject something, please, because I think it's important to re- to remember two things actually. Um, and I, I sorry I'm sorry for taking this over, but um, one a thing a thing that uh, Facebook privacy policy is kind of an oxymoron as is Twitter or LinkedIn or because they're their overall their model for making money is to monetize your data. So we can they there will not be a time when they give you the kind of control that many people would want because then they would go out of business. Can, can right? you say that again? Because, <laughs> because I have a number of higher ed professionals that think Facebook is private because they've set their no, privacy. Okay, okay, so I've been doing a lot of reading on this. Um, on this specific part of of uh, of um, social media companies and Internet of Things, right? And one of the things that's um, it's not exactly a revelation, but I think it's important to to think about that the nature of these platforms is that they are extractive. And what that means to me, or how I think about it, is that their entire goal is to mine and to keep mining. And to create other opportunities to mine, and you know, mine as in data. Right. So there's never a point when they're going to stop. They're only going to create new opportunities for mining, right? So that so that's why we see 
Internet of Things toothbrushes, Internet of Things toasters, blenders, um, and why they're connected, why, why they seek to connect them to platforms like Facebook and Snapchat. And because their, their entire model is based on producing more, is, is the, like a rapacious uh, extraction of data. So there will never be a uh, without legal intervention or until uh, there's massive outcry by the public. There'll never be the kinds of controls that certain people, say privacy advocates like myself, would want mm-hmm. because it would be like telling Exxon, well, don't, you know, you can't use oil anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, their model's built on taking our data, and that's something that we just give them. And it's an- we don't give it to them, though. We don't because if you never had a Facebook account, Facebook would still have a bunch of information about you because they buy it from other companies. They're extractive. So, say my wife doesn't have a Facebook account, right? Uh, if I had access to Facebook's info on my wife, they would still have a bunch of stuff because they buy it from other data brokers. And just by being in society. So my wife doesn't have Facebook, LinkedIn, like any of those. But they certainly have information on her because she has a credit report. She has, uh, right. you know, there's public information about her uh, that Facebook buys. Right. I, and so I, I yeah, I... I'm sorry to cut you off, but like no, the it, idea it, that we give it to them is not – they take it from us. It was a well-timed <laughs> interjection also because when you go to their policy page, the first thing I noticed, though, it doesn't say privacy policy anymore. It says data policy. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so they, they at least labeled what it is, is that we are pieces of data of which then can be turned around and sold. The URL mm-hmm. says privacy, but the main page says data. That's really funny. <laughs> now, uh, now they now what they do is um, they give you these like privacy checkups, and I think there was one on my screen like a couple weeks ago. I, I stream grabbed it so we can we can put it somewhere in the channel. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so it gives you like the illusion of privacy, right? Like it walks you through these like different steps. You can check on your your settings and things like that to make you kind of feel good about. Uh, what you are um, with while like, the machine is churning behind the curtain, um, selling as many pieces of these, these data as they can. Yeah, I mean, we saw, you know, you saw uh, recently probably the Harvard um, kids who had their re- uh, admissions revoked. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They had a, a private Facebook uh, group where they were exchanging racist memes. <sighs> now, so, so I did one of the, I did um, this. This is my last thing. Is I, I went in to Google Trends to see how many how often people search for Facebook privacy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the the peak of it was uh, September 2015. Um, and when you go back to like 08 or so, like hardly anyone, like no one was googling Facebook privacy, like. The, the numbers and and what Google Trends do it has like 100 is the the peak moment and everything else is kind of scaled based on like that moment mm-hmm. and so back then it was like the numbers are like two and three so maybe it was like Chris googling it back then but the, <laughs> like and, and, and he made and he uh, made his daughter do it as well and, yeah. and one other colleague. Um, the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation or doing it then but that was about it right and so then you get into like um, oh nine. 
10, or that's when all these changes started happening, um, where they're like opting you into stuff. So it, it, they have a few spikes there, and then it really stays pretty low for a while, with, with few exceptions. And to, to September 20, is that, is that September 2015? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what happened September 2015. I haven't, I didn't uh, get that far. I thought this was going to be around the, remember the, the Facebook social experiments? Oh, where, yeah, the emotional contagion experiment. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be that, but that was actually in 2014. So, like June of 2014. So, I'm not really sure what had the spike of, uh, of, of, of 2015. Huh. That, that was just question. before they added reactions and there was, um, a couple groups studying. There was an actually that, um, informed consent, not consented study that came out around, um, use like of, Facebook tags. Okay. No, I'll tell you uh. what it is. This is a Facebook emotion study breached the ethical guidelines. It was in June 30th, 2014. So this is probably where people started. So nearly 700,000 uh, human subjects were put in um, here to a secret mood experiment and they want to get um, to know how people would react to certain things. Um, they didn't have informed consent. They went to the news feeds if, and say, see if it would affect their emotional um, emotions. Um, so this was a professor of law talked about how Facebook didn't give users any informed consent to allow them to be part of the study. They just took their uh, information. And this, this is probably why it was searched a lot, because they're wondering about the e- efficacy and ethics of this kind of research. Um, yeah. So I'll put a so couple of links to that. Yeah. Now on Facebook, it says, what's on your mind? And back then it said, "How are you feeling?" Is that correct? <laughs> and so they were what taking you... that how how are you they were taking that how are you feeling, and doing like a sentiment analysis to see how your posts were actually feeling. I don't want them to know what's on my mind. <laughs> oh. So it's good that you bring that up, and I will say Facebook does not claim to be a. Uh, media company and that makes it a technology company where they don't have to make decisions around things the same way although that's another side issue um but we we have to think about it because most people in this space see facebook um and this is what i can tell from my study so far we've interviewed just over 52 people and most people think facebook's private and twitter is public um, so keep that in mind, uh, whether you think you, your Facebook is private versus public because you have privacy settings. Chris, let's talk about the public space that they go to on uh, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh gosh, there's so much. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, before and, um, Jeff, nice job, by the way. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I just looked at, um, Twitter's, uh, new, new uh, additions to their privacy policy. Um, so a couple of things I wanted to highlight. Uh, so they stopped honoring do not track. Um, so uh, a, another, um, I guess, little known um, fact is that whenever you go to a web page and it has a little Facebook icon or a Twitter icon or whatever, um, that means... <laughs> Well, it means a couple of things, but what it means is, is that Facebook and Twitter are paying it to, are, they know that you're on that page, um, you, whether you press like or not. So if I go to Huffington Post 
and there's a Twitter and Facebook button there. Twitter and Facebook know that I'm on Huffington Post at that time. And and, the, and we would use the button is like to share that page, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I they can say it. I'm a fan of Huffington Post, or I like the Huffington Post, or something. Yeah. But you don't have to click the button for them to know you're there. You do not. Um, So Twitter used to honor, if you said don't track me when I do these things, Twitter used to honor that. Uh, They don't anymore. Um, So uh, another thing is they, and and there are things to block that. Um, There's there's, uh, browser add-ons that let you block that. Twitter, so they don't, they no longer honor do not track. Uh, they store your browsing history now for 30 days instead of 10. Um, as as Jeff was mentioning, they and so the you are by default opted into these things, um, and so you have to go back in. Even you know no matter how you had configured your settings before, uh, you have to go back in now and change them so that you're that you're opting out of the certain kinds of, of tracking and things like that. Um, now, one bit of transparency that they did add, which was good, is that now you can get a, a more detailed look at how, at which um, brands have been targeting you and how they, how they understand you. Um, you know, so it, uh, how, because uh, <laughs> sometimes, uh, like, so you can do this sort of in the settings. Um, so, you'll know the companies who are trying to target you when you get like promoted tweets and things like that. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting partially because it's, um, and for, for me and a lot of people I've talked to, it's so off base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and again, I mean, we've talked about this before that that um, targeted algorithms are wrong about me when they're trying to serve me ads isn't really a big deal. Uh, but that they'd be, but that algos algorithms are wrong about me when they're making other kinds of decisions about me is problematic, potentially dangerous, you know, life altering. Um, so, you know, whether, you know, if they send me like, uh, ads for like, uh, a sports show that I would never watch, you know, or a movie that I would never watch, it's kind of funny and not a big deal, but. If they're making um, claims about, uh, you know, whether how likely I am to steal something, or you know, my credit report, or how much I can pay for airline tickets, you know, that's a that's a different issue. Um, but those are the the main what I see as sort of the main changes that that Twitter instituted. I mean, their their goal is to be more. Twitter is like is the least. Uh, it's the least marketable of, of the, of the big, um, social media platforms. Like, yeah, I think you probably, yeah, know that they tried to, they were trying to sell Twitter not too long ago and couldn't really get a buyer at the price they wanted. Mm-hmm. So most of the changes they make, whether it's in their interface or their or privacy page is to become more like Facebook. Um, so they can make more money. Yeah, and that being like Facebook has a bit more closed features where people ha- put more information, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people feel a public versus private self online. I could be wrong, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, one of the, and if I'm talking too much, please just say so. 
But one, I think this, um, the, a, a phrase that's uh, been around for a while that, but that has started to gain a lot of traction in terms of these companies is, uh, is uh, Zuboff's notion of surveillance capitalism. Um, and the, that goes back to what I was talking about as, as these platforms as being extractive. Um, the goal of all of them, right, whether it's Uber or Facebook or Twitter, the goal of all of them is to take to grab as much information on people as possible and to monetize that. And if they can't monetize it now, they'll hold on to it until they can figure out how to. Um, so when we we think about when we think about them as private, I think that's a, a pretty big mistake. I mean, they certainly have their uses and their benefits, um, but when using, I don't think, I think there's rare opportunities that we would use the words private with social media in any kind of meaningful way, and, except to say they're not private. Can I ask, so I looked at LinkedIn, and I'll tell you why I did in a second, but did either of yours have a government request for member data? Because uh, mine did. It had two um, two parts of the year of 2016. It was a government request for member data, and they gave a transparency report by numbers. And I will say LinkedIn um, kind of itemizes the country. Um, U.S. had 150, sorry, 135 requests, and then 345 uh, subject accounts, subjects to request. They want specific accounts. Um, did you, any of you, did you come across no, that? No. Um, I just assume the government knows how to get Facebook information. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm actually looking at, um, Twitter seems to, uh, their interface for, uh, um, government re info requests seems pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, like there's a guidelines for LinkedIn, same thing. So LinkedIn's law enforcement data requests. Um, so it can be any kind of, when I say government, it doesn't have to be the big government, quote unquote, um, number 45. And so, but it, it means that any, um, law enforcement can have access, which happens and they use it. And they're, it's something that people recognize that it is a space that they are watching and going to if needed. Yeah. And, and Jeff, that's that, that's interesting too because some of that comes out of the uh, the Snowden um, revelations. Yeah, you know what gov what government was asking for, you know what they were asking these companies for, and what they were just taking without consent. Yeah, you know that they had tapped into uh, the tubes of of companies like Facebook and Google. You know. Chris, Chris I, I logged in to the um, to look at. I didn't realize this company data was available, and and I have not done my request advertiser list yet. But when it says that I'm currently a part of nine thousand seven hundred forty-eight audiences, yeah, from nineteen hundred and fourteen advertisers, <laughs> and then. Under interest from partners, so Twitter's partners built audiences from around shopping decisions, lifestyles, and other things online behaviors. I have 306 interests from those partners. And when I click on them, 
it's the most bizarre combination <laughs> right, right. of things like fresh produce and spices and extracts and sports drinks and yeah I, I think one of mine was like because you like pants or something like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if this is how they're well, that's on you. how they're building me I, I'm really concerned because they think I'm a NASCAR fan <laughs> I thought That's you were. That's very concerning. <laughs> I thought you were. I mean, maybe they think I'm from Texas. I like NASCAR or something. But <laughs> so I will say I did put in a link to an article from the Atlantic. That's the thin line between commercial and government surveillance and surveillance. And in that, I don't know if you either of you got to take a look at the Princeton group that's doing the Web Transparency and Accountability Project. Um, yeah. It's pretty fascinating to go and take a look at that. Um, and I will say that they're touching on like issues um, that maybe some of us are just thinking about now. If you're just listening to this and going, maybe I should be more informed. But they talk about threats, um, informing the public, um, how the web never forgets. Uh, so there's different pieces that they put out in open ed um, pieces like The Guardian. But they talk about what the results are and some of their data that I think are really interesting. And they do talk about research, but also for what the public should know. Um, so I thought it was pretty informative. And I have one other article on the topic. And this was, um, I think about, and you mentioned this before, Chris, the Internet of Things, uh, the connectivity mm -hmm. binge, and what that means for privacy and security. And so um, I know the Pew Internet Research Group just put out a report on how we think about, and it's no surprise how we publicly think about data and, and privacy. We'd like, we think we have it, or we think we are being secure, but in reality, we are more connected um, um, to things as well as platforms and yeah, that's something that we need to consider more moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I, oh, I'm highly skeptical. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I won't be buying a, a Nest, you know, thermostat anytime soon. No Samsung fridge yeah. for me either. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what I like. I looked at LinkedIn because um, I use it for a course that I teach, and I wanted to kind of dig into So I'm the one who started this. We should look at policies because I need to do it, and it's my own accountability. Um, because LinkedIn's been bought by Microsoft, and they own a lot of things. They own lynda.com, SlideShare. Um, so it's become a bigger part of it. And so they changed on April 18th. They announced the update to their terms of service, and this went into effect on June 7th. So... One of them, which one of my students brought up to me um, because we work on the LinkedIn platform for research and for what we do in this course I teach, is visibility. So right now, unless you opt out, you everything can be seen visible. Um, so I'll put some links to change that. So I went in and changed a few things like who could see in my network. So since I have students in my network, I actually opted out of people seeing more of my network or seeing more of things that I might be connected to that um, could impact my learners. Um, but there's things about, you know, how you update your profile, you get an announcement, like you could turn that off. So I gave them some examples to turn off um, similar, similar things like productivity, connecting with other members. But they have this interesting list um, of do's and don'ts so that you agree with now. And it's kind of interesting. So, like, LinkedIn do's and don'ts. Uh, complying with the law, you have to use your real name on your profile and use in a professional manner and keep it updated. That's it. There's nothing else um, other than, cop like, complying with basic tax copyright laws. 
they actually require you to use, uh, you will not use an image that's not in your likeness or a headshot of your profile. <laughs> I'd like to scroll through a few people's images and say they don't, they've updated that. <laughs> that. And that's, I have yeah. a concern because that's like a privacy thing too. Like if you don't yeah. choose to have, like let's say you have your character online, they're like you're the research whisperer or something like shit to that academic set. Like they don't use their, if they use it in another space, like I think that's up to them. Right. Um, yeah, like it says, don't you do not invite people you do not know know to join your network. Well, how do you build your like? It's just weird, like some of the things. But and they do talk about junk uh, mail and harassment or harm of people. I do like that they've said they don't want people to distribute information, because, uh, solicit spam. Um, think about like they they are thinking about other violations that have come into harm. And I've not seen that with other policies, per se, on um, other social networks. Um, like, there's a bunch of them. Like, they're like, you cannot build a pyramid scheme. Sorry, Jeff. You cannot do <laughs> monetize response or something uh, without LinkedIn's consent, advertising bots. Like, they go through framing, mirroring, and copying another function of another service to another person. Because I mean, isn't LinkedIn an inherent pyramid scheme? Well, <laughs> aren't they constantly asking you to get your friends on LinkedIn? Apparently you're not. Well, you can't invite anyone that you don't know or you can't connect to. And they have like a professional community guidelines policy, which is interesting that I haven't seen in any other space. So like there do not say not like more than any other platform I've seen, but I don't know how they can exactly account. Like don't misrepresent your identity. Um, including qualifications of previous positions, um, false identity of credibility, a campaign. And this is something that's not said on uh, Facebook. So, Chris, I don't know if you know Alec Kuros. Uh, I may know. I think I know him through Twitter. Yeah. So on Facebook, he's got his identity taken and he's been, um, like, other people have been fished, catfished, and also... Um, misrepresented identity like on a passport or a visa to dating scheme scam and people have taken his profile pictures and pictures of him and his kids and put them in different spaces and acted oh like it's gosh. his account and cha- like not used his name but used someone else's name but used his public persona for like bad and facebook does nothing to do with it like oh here my gosh. i know like linkedin's clearly saying if you misrepresent someone that's good. We're going to take issue and remove, um, and you're not going to be part of our services. I mean, we've uh, I've seen not firsthand, but pretty close up the uselessness of uh, Twitter's um, harassment policies yeah. lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know there's a another another um, guy who kind of runs in our circles, uh, uh, Cog Dog, mm-hmm. uh, has had. Some something similar happened to him on Facebook, with people stealing his profile, kind of. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's nuts, but it's um, something we need to talk about. Like this is, um, it's something that we're not really addressing. And I don't know, and I know that communities are struggling online. I don't know about LinkedIn, but I know that there are some Facebook groups and Twitter communities that struggle with people interfering or harassment within a group. And it's really up to those kind of moderators or administrators or whatever you want to call them to kind of think about community standards and talk about that with the community because there aren't any 
guidelines other than, I guess, reporting and what happens with the reports when you have a bot somewhere or someone's being abusive in the space. Right. I will say the privacy laws for LinkedIn only apply to um, U.S. members and anyone outside um, fall under, they call it Irish law, that can have disputes settled in Irish courts. And that's because uh, Microsoft and other companies like Google and Apple moved to Ireland when it was tax-free. That's changing. So they have a lot of their European offices based out of Dublin and other parts of Ireland because it was quite affordable at the time. And I think that's it's changing now. But um, Including Facebook. Including Facebook, yeah. They have their contact information in Menlo Park, California and somewhere in Ireland. That's correct. Yeah, everyone was there. And so Microsoft was there. Google's still there. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's um, interesting to see that even though we are a global society on these platforms, regionally we're governed different. So there's an anti-spam law in Canada that uh, is pretty awesome that doesn't apply here, unfortunately. There's privacy laws in the EU look at things different with data and these platforms. So there are some restrictions. Um we just kind of go with it in the U.S., I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there was just a huge uh, data breach um, with uh, a lot of information on voters. Um, like, oh, this yeah. just came out today that yeah. something like 200 million voters or, or potential voters, that their data was left on a, on a cloud server with no password protection. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that my, you know, and I'm not an optimist, but my my hope is that uh, that eventually we'll get to a point where um, the harms become fairly obvious, and we start to get a few more uh, rules about, uh, you know, what what's what can be done, you know, what kind of uh, legal outcomes are are possible, or what kind of legal. Uh, recourse is possible when when companies are irresponsible with your data or even like what options we have i mean like again because we don't i have i have exactly one choice when dealing with facebook um you know most of their or you know twitter like most of their um policies are um as as jeff called it i mean it's the illusion of privacy um I don't. I have very, very small, a very small amount of, of options um, about what I'm, what they're going to take from me in exchange for using their service. Um, and again, even if you don't use the service, a lot of these companies uh, amass a profile on you anyway. Yeah, and I think the biggest takeaway from this may be to think about what do you need to have on these platforms and have you looked at your settings lately um, for who's accessing what permissions because there's things about cookies and do not track on LinkedIn to advertising. Like you can opt out of advertising on Facebook with your app, your phone app even, and think about um, kind of what's been tracking your information. And what do you need to remove and maybe take down from spaces? You don't have to put everything or fill everything up in those platforms. Yeah. Okay, back to my Twitter data. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter thinks I own like 10 different cars and a motorcycle. <laughs> None of which are correct. Actually, one, one is kind of, one is the, the motorcycle. Model, uh, the, the name is correct. Yes. Yes. 
Pedal Hog got back. <laughs> and then it has all these, uh, it has all of these brands, which I can't imagine I ever uh, tweeted about Hunt's uh, ketchup and mustard. So I don't know how that became, or bouncy paper towels. I don't know how that became like a brand. But then they have what's interesting is a demographic section, and I have to scroll down what this is, which it it says I'm both single and married. It calls me a, a millennial. You are. And then, and then, so so it makes you feel like a little good, like oh, it thinks I'm younger than I really am. When you're looking for this, can you tell listeners where you found it? So you went to your privacy slash data policy. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to back up because I forgot how I got here. Yeah, so uh, the breadcrumbs. Yeah, so go, you, go, you go to settings on your, your left-hand um, options. On the very bottom, it says your Twitter data. So you click on that. And then uh, you have to log in because it's sensitive information. You scroll down to the bottom. I requested my list of advertisers, though I don't know when I have time to read through 1,900 advertisers, but I requested that <laughs> list. They email it to you. I haven't received it yet. I've been waiting. And you have interest on Twitter. I have 50 interest. And then you have interest from partners. So interest from Twitter is like categories, like I like comedy or sports or whatever like that. Um, partners is uh, the actual kind of either the brand or like the – the different demographic categories they have you in. Um, also, it's interesting. I tend, like, I have a very limited amount of things I tweet about. It's sarcastic political tweets or about the NBA, specifically about the Spurs. And that's, that's like 90% of all of my tweets. Under sports, it has me for international summer competition fan. I don't know what that is. I, I believe that. That's because you talk about like ne- the Netherlands all the time. Maybe. I mean, I was I was in Europe for the world, last World Cup. Maybe that's where that comes from. But honestly, I didn't talk about it on Twitter because I didn't want everyone to know I was out of, out of the country. International but winter Did you log into Twitter while you were there? I don't know. You probably I mean, I, I probably. I, I, guess, I guess so. I don't remember logging into much of anything while I was there. But I, I may have. Um, international winter competition fan. NASCAR. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. And professional football fan. Not, no basketball, no NBA, nothing. The, I only watch one sport, and that's not, that's not represented on here. Yeah, I mean, again, I think they're comically... Most of the time, in a lot of regards, these things are comically wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, I, but... And, and I'm sure this is not just coming from what I tweeted about. This goes back to how Facebook has data on your wife. Like, it's pulling yeah. in other things, trying to like, learn more about me. Yeah. But, but and here's what... When, when it's about Twitter, right, or serving you ads, it's really funny and quite sad but like these are the same texts that people want to bring to, uh, you know, students in you know learning analytics or in grading or in, in college admissions, you know, and deciding who gets parole. I mean, these are the same technologies, you know. So they're comically bad 
you know, when they're recommending a movie to me on Netflix, but we want to, um, you know, turn around and use these same technologies to um, make decisions about people's lives. Um, you know, that's that's what I try to, to get people to think about. Right? Like, you know, in the end, right, how what kind of ads I'm served on Twitter. I don't even see ads because I block I block all ads all the time. Right. <laughs> so I don't even see them. You know, but I, I think when we we talk about how these, um, you know, how many times have we heard, well, it's going to be like Uber for for students, right? It's going to be like Netflix, but for students. <laughs> what, we can't make, because we can't make these decisions anymore, think critically. Yeah, yeah. Well, comedy came up twice, talking to you two jokesters on my list, my interests, <laughs> yeah, so course. check. Um this has made me think more about what I have in spaces and where I am. And I like usually audit kind of where I am online and, or I've been taking things down. Um, just because, yeah, I don't know if I want to put all that data out there anymore. And make it I mean, I'm, I'm looking at something now that says how to become the Netflix of textbooks. Okay. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> wow. Well, we, we've depressed ourselves, so I think we've come to the end of this uh, podcast. Um, well, I've, my job is done. Sweet. <laughs> we will definitely put some links to some places that you should check out for your settings and review them, because now that we've gone through our data, our interests, and our archives, we've learned a lot. Um, oh, I have a podcast recommendation, Jeff Jackson, for you. I have a podcast rant, but go ahead. Okay. So I uh, heard about this podcast. Actually, I think I read about it in a magazine, an analog magazine, and it's older. <laughs> it was on earlier this year, so some people are probably already listened to it, but it's the Missing Richard Simmons podcast. I, I, I'm familiar with it. You may recall Richard Guru Richard Simmons, uh, Sweat into the 80s. Uh, my mom used to have these... Uh, dvds and he's quite enthusiastic he stopped teaching his regular exercise class at slimmons um a couple years ago and cut off his closest friends removed himself from the public eye and has not been seen times yeah slimmons yeah that was was the that was the class he taught in this old studio apartment okay kudos to the the name it's good right it's good yeah um it's not a long series so it's only um six episodes um but uh it's called missing richard simmons fascinating i learned so much well what's your rant there's a story around that yes and i don't i'm not fully familiar with it where where actually like police went to his house yes i thought he was being held captive correct a couple what? times. A couple times. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I know that you listen to S-Town and Serial. It, it is kind of like figuring out a mystery in a mystery and enigma. So I thought you'd like that. So check it. Yeah. What's your So, rant? so I'm, I'm a fan of the Gimlet podcast. Mm-hmm. Though one thing that's becoming very sad is they will create these like very interesting podcasts like um, Mystery Show with Carly Sta- uh, Starly Kine, Twice Removed with A.J. Jacobs, where they 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 take a quasi-famous person and go down their uh, um, kind of their their family lineage and family tree, and they introduce them to someone they're related to, and it end up being like this like very like nice moment at the end. 
they're very interesting, super highly produced, and super ambitious, I would say. And they have very short lives. I agree. I hate you start that. listening to it, and after like episode six, you're like, "This is the end of our season." And you're like, "What do you mean, it's the end of your season? You've done six weeks of episodes. <laughs> That's it." And like, we'll be back next season, and then either next season one never comes around, and they just like mysteriously vanish. I think heavyweight is going through that same thing also because they haven't been around in a while, and also. Uh, like with Twice Removed, they actually had an episode to say, we're not coming back with, an, with another season. This is our last episode. And so... I wish I heard this from you before I started listening to this because I was pissed <laughs> off as well. Yeah. And so it's... it's. I mean, I know they're a startup. They're trying to figure things out. They're, you know, they're going through, they're, they're going through the, 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 learning, the learning curve themselves. But... But they, they have these like great shows that are different than other types of shows. Um, and then there's sampler, there's there's surprisingly awesome. There's some that weren't quite as popular. By quite as popular means I didn't like them as much. Um, I'm sh- <laughs> but I'm sure they were I'm sure they were equally as popular to other listeners. And they kind of just go away. Like Repi All is one of the few that have Shh, don't jinx it. I know. Yeah, and, and they're still putting stuff. They put stuff out like every week still. Hey, I was going to apply to be an intern. You know this in New York City, so I was thinking about it. <laughs> I'll give you a reference. Thanks, Chris. Anything we should listen to, read, or watch? Uh oh, gosh, yeah. Um, outside of what we've been talking about, uh, American Gods, you should watch that, uh, and especially the performance by Orlando Jones. Um, but I, uh, just finished, um, reading, uh, I don't know how to say his name, uh, Nick Cernicek. Mm. It's S-R-N-I-C-E-K. Um, a very short book called, um, Platform Capitalism. Really worth reading. Um, uh, it explains a lot of, um, a lot of the impetus behind the stuff we've been talking about today. No. Okay. Like, cool. uh, yeah, really worth watching. Uh, I want to give one book plug because I literally just got it. Naomi Klein is one of my favorite authors, and I've loved her since No Logo. Uh, her new book, No, is not enough: resisting Trump's shock politics and winning the world we need. Um, I listened. I heard her on the politically reactive show podcast and she gives a good snippet of it if you want to hear what the book's about and what she's targeting at but i'm going to be reading this on my holidays because yeah i think it's important that we do more than just say no she's talking she talks about being proactive instead of just refusing so what you can do in action so oh great yeah cool jeff you're listening to any books these days yeah so uh I listen to a lot of uh, like Christian spirituality books, uh, Christian living books. Um, but recently, I, I've been wanting to listen to Barrett Tenday's Thurston, How to Be Black, since he first wrote it, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Um, spoiler alert, I am still white. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know if you know, I don't know if people know Barrett Tenday Thurston. He's pretty, he's been around Twitter for a while. Um, he talks about basically kind of his like upbringing of being in uh, in 
I don't know if I would say inner city Washington, but he would say at a, a rough part of D.C. that then at one point moved in high school, but he went to a uh, very uh, high end private school and then to Harvard, Harvard. And so it's it's partially kind of tongue in cheek. It's partially like a reflection of his life and and um, and kind of things he dealt with like like growing up. Yeah, no, he's quite good. I haven't read that that um, yeah. book, but yeah, I, I, he's quite good. I've been a big fan of his for a while. Um, was the digital editor of The Onion, I guess? Like, when The Onion started having websites and digital content? Okay. And, but that's been, that's been a while, and then he has a podcast, or was in a podcast called The, uh, the Show About Race. I was glad I got to finally, finally listen to that. Well, thanks, uh, y'all, for great some great reads. I'm like, oh, this is good. I'm going to add to my Kindle. Um, so until next time, we will be back. Check your privacy settings and uh, see what you want to actually put out there in data and what your data says about you per the app. It's probably wrong, but let us know. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thank you. Very, hey, Chris, very thanks much. for coming back. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good one, Al. All right. Bye, you too. Thank you.